Ever since the first podcast was launched in 2003, podcasting has largely stayed true to its original mission of being completely free and open, so no one owns it. Instead of tech giants owning the relationship between creators and their fans, as has been the case with most other types of online content, podcasters have connected to their fans directly via open and decentralized RSS feeds. This decentralized setup has allowed podcasting to remain mostly free from the deplatforming, demonetization, algorithmic throttling, and other problems that have become pervasive on big tech platforms. But in recent years, the tide has started to change. As podcasting has grown in popularity, researchers and legacy media outlets have demanded that top-down censorship systems be applied to podcasting. As a result, new systems that subject podcasters to the censorship creators have faced on other platforms have started to spring up. One of the metrics that has emerged in this rush to crack down on speech and podcasting is AI-powered, quote, brand safety analysis. This analysis involves flagging so-called high-risk speech within podcasts and determining podcasts' suitability for advertising. Welcome, everybody, to NWCZRadio.com, Channel 1's Down the Rabbit Hole. My name is Big D. It's time for another midweek edition, and this week we are together. Hope everybody is having a great week, and those uh, around the world who celebrate Memorial Day, that you had a wonderful weekend, and you pause to reflect a moment for those who have gone before and their families who were left behind, people who gave the ultimate sacrifice for belief in freedom freedom of speech, freedom of thought, and it's very, very important that we remember those men, women, and kids. Yep, I said it, kids. If you're not familiar, go back and look at your history. In several countries, there were young kids, 12, 13, 14, 16, who lied about their age, got into the service, never made it back because they believed in fighting for the cause, whatever the cause was. And so just want to remind you to remember that there are families who were left behind without their loved ones who gave that ultimate sacrifice. This week, we are going to get into the Bilderberg meeting that just happened. But before we head into it, I want to remind you to email us at downtherh at protonmail.com, downtherh at protonmail.com. On May 18th through the 21st of this year in Lisbon, Portugal, which is, by the way, a lovely city. I've been there. I enjoyed my time there. I will have to say, what's up with the graffiti everywhere there, though? <laughs> if you've ever been to Lisbon, you know what I'm talking about. Like, everything is covered in graffiti. It's amazing. Except for right down by the water, there's a museum and a the old town right there i didn't find any there but all over the rest of the city if you drive around is every single square inch billboards streets <laughs> signs everything so y'all need to work on that 
we don't have a whole lot of room to talk here if you've ever been to Detroit, Chicago, <laughs> and some of those. But man, Lisbon, for being such a beautiful city, got to get that under grips. So if you're not familiar with what the Bilderberg meeting is, if you've been listening to us at all, you should have a grasp on it. But this year was the 69th Bilderberg meeting, and there were about 130 participants, according to them, from 23 countries. They claim that it's a diverse group of political leaders and experts from industry, finance, academia, labor, and the media, which is generally the case. They bring in the top names from all the top industries that serve their purpose, and they all converge on whichever city they deem worthy of holding their meetings, and they hold their conference. According to their own website, this is how they frame it. Founded in 1954, Bilderberg Meeting is an annual conference designed to foster dialogue between Europe and North America. Every year, between 120 and 140 political leaders and experts from industry, finance, labor, academia, and the media are invited to take part in the meeting. About two-thirds of the participants come from Europe and the rest from North America. Approximately a quarter of politics and government and the rest from other fields. The Bilderberg meeting is a forum for informal discussions about major issues. The meetings are held under the Chatham House rule. If you want to know what that is, go back and listen to earlier podcasts that I've done. I explain all about the rule. And according to them, this states that participants are free to use the information received, but neither the identity nor the affiliation of the speaker or speakers nor any other participant may be revealed. So it's a big secret what they talk about, any conclusions they come to, any assignments they give, any ideas that you come out of it, any diktats that they give to carry forth. You are not allowed to say who it came from. You're not allowed to talk about it. You're just supposed to carry it out under this anonymity. Also, it says, thanks to the private nature of the meeting, the participants take part as individuals rather than in any official capacity, and hence are not bound by the conventions of their office or by pre-agreed positions. So if you go in as the head of a corporation, or if you go in as the chief editor of newspaper, or you go in as a politician, you're not bound by your title. Supposedly, everybody is an equal, and they're all just sharing ideas. They go on to say, as such, they can take time to listen, reflect, and gather insights. There is no detailed agenda, no resolutions are proposed, no votes are taken, and no policy statements are issued. This is all according to the Bilderberg Group themselves. This is how they frame it. Now, let's back up several years. The Bilderberg Group denied they even existed. It was under complete secrecy. It was shrouded in total mystery. They denied it even was happening until people like Daniel S. Stulin and several other rogue and independent reporters followed them around, caught wind of it, paid staff member of hotels and, and restaurants and everything to tip them off, and they outed the Bilderberg Group. Once that happened, the Bilderberg Group then decided to become, quote, transparent about who's invited and what the topics of discussion are. And that's fairly recent. 
that this has happened. Now, they have gone on. If you go onto their website, you can go back several years, and they will give you, or you can look at a list of participants that they have added to their websites since then in this sort of idea of transparency. Now, this year, let's go through some of the people who are at this meeting, and then we're going to go through the agenda, which they listed. This is their list. We don't know that this is exactly what they went through, but let's just go with the idea that they're telling the truth. Why we would believe them, I don't know. But here's who they invited. The chair of the Global Advisory Board of Deutsche Bank, professor of economics, University of Toronto, the CEO of OpenAI, leader of the Socialist Democratic Party, staff writer from The Atlantic, special advisor to the board of Shell, CEO and chairman of Banco Santadera, the vice president of the European Commission, CEO and chairman of Pfizer, the president of the World Economic Forum, senior director for technology and national security, National Security Council, president of the Eurogroup, director of the National Economic Council, senior advisor for China, Department of Commerce, prime minister of Denmark, deputy prime minister of Canada, commissioner for economy of the European Commission, vice chair of the European People's Party, CEO of DeepMind, the CEO of Green Power from Denmark, the editor of The Economist, senior fellow from the Carnegie Endowment for the International Peace. And I'm skipping over a lot here. I'm just going through some of the highlights here. Minister of Foreign Affairs, Prime Minister of Finland, the President of the European Parliament, Editor-in-Chief of The Economist, the former CEO and Chair of Google LLC, the Chair for Strategic Affairs at the Carnegie Endowment. And it goes on. It goes on. There's several banks. There are several newspapers. There's the Financial Times, uh, holding companies, Goldman Sachs, and it just goes on and on and on. And there's quite a few of them. So the, these are all the people who are present. I can put this link in the show notes, and you can go through it yourself, see if anybody came from your country. If you're in Europe or the United States or Canada, most likely somebody from your country was there. And these are, according to them, the key topics for discussion. And I believe this is alphabetical order, so I don't know that they talked about them in this order, but they have AI, the banking system, China, energy transition, Europe, fiscal challenges, India, industrial policy and trade, NATO, Russia, transnational threats, Ukraine, and U.S. leadership. What I find interesting is missing from that for the first time in several years is anything related to COVID. Nothing about COVID, nothing about vaccines, nothing about response, nothing. And I think what you're going to find as we go through this is that they don't need that anymore because everything that they set up, that we've talked about them setting up these systems using COVID as the mechanism to get them in place, they've now slid them into one of these categories, AI, banking system, energy transition, fiscal challenges, and so forth. So in this episode, I thought we would look at, since they're not going to give us any notes, they're not making public anything that they've talked about during this time. And what you, what you really have to do is you have to go through this list of all the people who attended and watch them throughout the year and see how they act, see what kind of policies they, they put in place. 
see what kind of ideas they push forward because that's where the agenda truly comes out. But I thought just for the sake of looking at what they're looking at, let's see what's going on in some of these topics and see if we can't get a clue as to where they're trying to take us and where they want things to head. So I thought we'd start with what's first on the list, and that, of course, is AI. And we, I did an entire episode on AI and the coming dangers of AI, and a lot of people are talking about the dangers of AI. But there's some things that are coming out these days about AI that are quite interesting and I think, frankly, being ignored by a lot of people. Because on the whole, AI is it's a novelty at the moment. You have AI writing papers, you have people are talking to AI, chat, GBT, and so And it's basically a novelty on the consumer level. But behind the scenes, what they're doing with AI is alarming. And I think we're going to see a lot of changes because of AI, unless there are some regulations or fail stops put in place. And that's not just me saying that. The international media conglomerate based in Germany, Axel Springer, is warning that journalism may be, quote, simply replaced by AI. The warning came as the company slashed an undisclosed number of jobs as it aims to improve its annual results by over 100 million in three years. What they're talking about, uh, the German newspaper Die Welt, Europe's Bild, and Politico in the U.S., as well as Business Insider and frankly, a lot of newspapers are talking about this, is significant reductions in jobs in media, and they're just going to let AI do it. Well, AI is not a sentient being yet, and so all it is going to do is just spit out what it's already has been programmed into it with its biases, with all of its preconceived notions and what they want you to know. So... That's one thing that's coming down the pipe with AI. We also have this article. Experts ramp up warnings. AI now poses, quote, extinction risk to humanity. Global leaders should be working to reduce the risk of extinction from artificial intelligence technology, a group of industry chiefs and experts warned on Tuesday. And this was written on May 30th. Chat GPT. The Sam Altman, whose firm OpenAI created the chat GBT bot, said tackling the risk from AI should be, quote, a global priority alongside other societal scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. Dozens of academics and specialists from companies including Google and Microsoft have signed a letter that comes two months after Elon Musk and others called for a pause in the development of such technology. Also, the godfather of AI has resigned from Google and warns of the dangers of artificial intelligence. So there's a lot of warning from insiders about this. This is Jeffrey Hinton, who quit his job, and this was May 1st, 2023. He quit his job at Google to voice his concerns about the risk associated with generative AI, which is the technology behind the popular chatbots like ChatGBT and Google Bard. These are all warnings coming from not crazy conspiracy theorists, not people who are on the outside looking in and you know looking at worst case scenarios. These are people on the inside who helped develop these things 
who are now basically afraid of the monster they created. And they're coming out warning about it. So I don't know what the Bilderberg group's talking about. It's interesting to me that you have all these people coming out and warning about the dangers of AI, and you have the Bilderberg group. It's one of their topics of discussion. Always interesting, and let's watch and see what happens because I don't see a lot of countries who are taking this serious and who are coming out against AI. In fact, a lot of them are incorporating it into the way they do their government. One of those is Ukraine. And I find this interesting because in Ukraine, of course, you know, we've all been told, and I'm not going to get into a debate as to whether this is a good war or a bad war, but in Ukraine, they are fighting hard for freedom. And in the meantime, what we have, countries sending mass amounts of money over there for them to keep their government afloat, to set up new government, to set up infrastructure for this new democratic country. And you have the U.S. AID-sponsored Visa and Google, and they assisted this app in Ukraine, and it is a digital ID. And it encourages them to basically snitch on their fellow citizens. And all kind of different things. I'm going to play a clip from you. This sounds like it's from a movie, but it's not. This is from May 23rd. This is Max Blumenthal reporting. This was a presentation given to people in Ukraine about this app. Or bonds aimed at rebuilding the liberated and soon-to-be deoccupied Ukrainian cities. State mortgage. Military, medics, teachers, and scientists can apply for the state mortgage right in the app. A chatbot that helps any citizens safely transfer info about the location of Russian troops, names of collaborators, and enemy movements to the armed forces. Numerous attacks of Russian army destroyed a number of TV towers. To provide Ukrainians with uninterrupted access to information, we launched DIA Radio and DIA TV, so that even under blackouts, millions could feel present and added the in-app army of drones game to help Ukrainians both distract and donate to the common purpose. Has the enemy launched cyber attacks on Ukraine? Of course they have, and they failed. Even when the world is falling apart, our main task is to protect the people. Together, we can build a stronger one. So obviously this sounds like it's out of a movie or something, but this is not. This is an app that, uh, A, it has fun games on it. You can pay your taxes, you can pay your fines, you can pay the government you know, straight through this app, you can apply for things through this app, you can snitch on, collabor quote, collaborators with the Russians, tell people where they are at in your neighborhood, you suspect your neighbor might be sympathetic to them, he just report them, no big deal, and it goes on, it goes on and on, and it, they make it sound so neat and wonderful, but you have to have this in order to be part of the new Ukraine. It must be on your phone because that's how you're going to deal with the government. This, and they talk about it. Hey, there's a, uh, basically a chat bot that you're going to talk to, and they're going to help you and assist you with all of this. There will be no human on the other end. Also, the other thing that they're doing over there, this is a clip from Visa Executive Chair Al Kelly, 
And he's explaining how Visa has helped Ukraine expand its DIIE. This is this sort of e-governance app, the one that we just heard about, by making it a platform for government, quote, incentive payments for COVID vaccinations. Listen to this. The embrace of private sector partners since the start has been key to the success and evolution. In a time when many governments were turning inward and embracing nationalistic industrial policies, Ukraine invited innovators from around the world to help build DIA. Initially, Visa was selected as a secure gateway to allow citizens to make payments to the government. Our partnership expanded to include government disbursements, such as incentive payments for COVID vaccinations and now various relief payments. Because DIA payments are powered by Visa, our global network is delivering secure and resilient payments to millions of Ukrainians in this time of national emergency. So if you have this app and you didn't want to go get the, the vaccine, the shot, you were given an incentive, a financial incentive, money transferred into your account. This is all part of the big system. There, this is, there's no cash handed out. It was digital transfer from Visa into your account to go get the shot. You see where this is going. You see how this is being set up. And in my opinion, Ukraine is being set up as a test case for this sort of new world order, for the, the great reset. They're, they're, they are trying really, really hard to set Ukraine up as the sort of the model for the rest of the world to follow. And you have everybody rolling in there, BlackRock, Visa, tons of money from all over the world setting up these systems. And the, in my opinion, the poor people of Ukraine are being used as guinea pigs for this system. Also, another article real quick as far as AI goes. This is something you should know about. Headline, Microsoft adds mandatory system-wide artificial intelligent engine called a, quote, Windows Copilot to Windows 11, promising, quote, helpfulness. What it's actually doing is sucking all the data out of all of your computer and funneling it to what they deem the proper channels. A lot of people are calling it the, quote, Windows Copilot says, at first glance, it appears Microsoft's new built-in AI will have access to analyze everything on your computer with its artificial intelligence engine, whether you like it or not. So if you get this new Windows 11 that has this system-wide AI engine in it, anything you have on your computer, whether it's locked down, whether it's on a hidden file, locked file, Whatever it is, it is going to be able to go through, gather it all, take it into the cloud or wherever it's going, and then disperse it to who, whoever they deem necessary needs it. Could it be the FBI? Could it be the CIA? Could it be advertisers? Could it be your doctor? Could it, be, it could be anybody. And you will have no control over that. So just a heads up. Windows 11 operating system, just Google it up. Windows 11, uh, mandatory system-wide artificial intelligent in engine called, quote, Windows Copilot. And I can put this link also in the show notes, but that is definitely something you should know about if you have a laptop, home computer, 
and you're thinking about upgrading, if you value your privacy, this is what I'm talking about when I say AI, outside of what they're presenting as this sort of novelty side of AI. And that's what all most of the news stories and podcasts people are talking about. Oh, I was talking to this chat bot and I was asking it weird questions and I asked it to write a paper or a poem and this is what came out, write a song. Don't get distracted by that. That is layer one and it goes very, very, very deep and what it's doing behind the scenes is amazingly nefarious. And if we're not careful and we're not heeding the warning of these people who are on the inside of it, it could be very, very bad for all of us And I do find it interesting that at the Bilderberg meeting, that was one of the things they talked about, along with, of course, Ukraine. And here's another just side note. This is published May 26, 2023. And this also has to do with AI, but it's also about sort of cloning and what's coming to your iPhone and everything. Just trying to keep you aware of what's happening. It says, prepare for the personal voice feature in Apple's next software update iOS 17 says in this era of hyper personalized technology, Apple's making a leap from responding to your voice to mimicking it. Picture this, you're lounging on the couch, half watching, quote, the crown, half scrolling through your endless emails when you hear it, a FaceTime call ringing in. The voice from your friend sounds just like them and when they greet you. It's as if you stepped into an episode of Black Mirror when you realize it's a clone voice you're hearing. Welcome to iOS 17, where your iPhone and iPad will sound exactly like you when a new feature called personal voice is set up and enabled. They're saying it's something straight out of a sci-fi novel. It only takes personal voice 15 minutes to clone your voice. So when you talk into this thing, record your voice, clones it, and it can essentially talk for you. So next time you're talking to somebody, if you get this, and you hear them, and th- this can go in all kind of bad directions. And we, we know about people who have been scammed because of this very technology. Somebody calls up and says, hey, we have your son or we have your daughter here. Listen to them. And it's a clone voice of them saying, yes, I'm in trouble. Send money or whatever. Just trying to give you a heads up where all of this is going. One of the other topics that they were talking about at the Bilderberg meeting is the banking system. And I've been talking about this for quite some time, about this coming cashless society and how they're trying to move everybody into the central bank digital currency, which is different than crypto. It is run by the government, used by the government. And what the government gives, they take away, and they take away, and they take away. This is something that they are continuing to work on, and they are setting this up in certain countries. I just want to say from my own experience over the last, I don't know, month or so, I've been to several venues here in my home state of Texas, and it is amazing to me how many venues these days are no longer accepting cash. I've probably been to four, maybe five venues, a concert or a water park or a sporting event, whatever it may be, whatever the the venue may be, no cash accepted, period. And the way they're kind of transferring people over to this is, oh, you can bring cash in, 
you can't spin it there. You, you put it in this machine and it spits out a card that you can only use at that park, like a prepaid card. It's for parking. It's for inside the venue. They are slowly but surely, they are moving people over into this, getting used to not carrying cash, not having cash, not being able to use your cash. Be on the lookout for these venues. Don't support them. Don't buy anything from them. I mean, if you go to a concert, you bought a ticket, whatever, go to the show. Don't buy anything there. Do not participate in this. That's my philosophy. I'm not doing it. If I walk up and they say, yep, sorry, it's card only, I walk away. And that's where they're going with the banking system. They're talking about a negative interest. We've heard in America, a lot of banks who are in trouble because they're taking out risky loans, risky investments, and so forth. A lot of the mid-level banks are crashing, and it's shaky times in the banking business. Just be careful and be on the lookout, because if they're talking about it at the Bilderberg Group, there's something else coming down the pipe. In fact, one of their topics was fiscal challenges. For who? Who are they talking about? Who's having fiscal challenges? They don't say, is it nations? Is it banks? Is it people? Nope just fiscal challenges. I also thought it was interesting that they were talking about China and India and Russia. And I wonder if this has anything to do with the BRICS nations, the BRICS nation who are attempting to create a currency to knock off the US dollar as the world currency, because along with this, at the very bottom of this list is, quote, the US leadership. And as we've talked about here many times, if they can finally knock the U.S. out of its dominant position, bring them down to what they consider the same par as everybody else, game on for them. And so you have to wonder, why are they talking about China? Why are they talking about India and Russia, who are all part of the BRICS nations, and U.S. leadership? Because interestingly enough on this, I mean, it does say uh, NATO and transnational threats, but those are all very vague terms. They get specific when they want to, and they're very vague when they don't, such as energy transition or industrial policy and trade. None of that is specific. Those are very broad terms. I don't really know what to make of those. It's even with the banking system, what about the banking system? system what are we supposed to be looking at what are what what are they talking about in regards to that and so sometimes i think they throw those out there as a blanket term to then use those as a cover to make policy to give directives and to push people who are there in a certain direction and that's just an umbrella term it's my opinion and I can't back that up, but looking at the history of the Bilderberg Group and what they've done in the past, that seems to be how they operate. Now, let's look at some other things that are going on that I find interesting, not necessarily related to the Bilderberg Group, but certainly to the world around us and what is going on. One of the things that the Bilderbergs have talked about in the past is the alarming rate of the world population. And we've talked about how there is definitely a push to depopulate the world. It's hard to run a world when you have a lot of people that you can't control. 
and we're seeing this over and over from a lot of different countries. Canada is one who is uh, have, opening up their euthanasia to you know all sorts of ages and for basically any reason at all. This just came across. Dutch government makes, quote, life termination available for children as young as one year old. Officials in the Netherlands are expanding the avail- availability of life termination to children between 1 and 12 years of age. European nation will soon permit doctors to euthanize children deemed to have conditions which will lead to, quote, hopeless and unbearable suffering. And they don't say what that means. Is that physical? Is that mental? And who cares? Some, a kid between 1 and 12, the Netherlands are saying, yeah, you can go ahead and terminate that life. You can see where this is going. Also, I thought this was interesting. This goes to a lot of stuff we learned in COVID. A brand new study has come out, and it says masks offer, quote, small benefit against COVID, and increased CO2 may be tied to stillbirths, according to this research. CO2 concentration after five minutes jumps higher than the U.S. Navy, quote, exposure limits for submarines carrying a female crew, German researchers find. Uh, It says the termination of COVID-19 national emergency has not ended the mask mandates in certain places. However, there's a big problem. The, it doesn't really stop COVID. It says it's such a small, <laughs> small protection against it. it's not even worth it. But the problem is, is that as you are breathing into this mask, it says the evidence for mask use versus non-use and more versus less consistent mask use remain insufficient. Then it goes on, it says a much longer ongoing review of a mask effectiveness against viral transmission both COVID and influenza found masks probably make little to no difference. And I think we've talked about some of that. But the problem is here is that while eight times the normal level of carbon dioxide is toxic, mask wearers are breathing in 35 to 80 times normal levels. And this causes high blood pressure, reduces thinking ability, respiratory problems, and reproductive concerns among the many possible results. The U.S. Navy toxicity experts said the exposure limits for submarines carrying female crew is 0.8% CO2 based on animal studies. The German researchers wrote, while mammals chronically exposed to 0.3 CO2 show irreversible neuron damage in the offspring and reduce spatial learning, reduce circulating levels of the insulin-like growth factor one. Also, it increases testicular toxicity in adolescents. So you have a lot of problems with the mask being worn and very little to no benefit from it. You have to wonder with all these problems and also it increases stillborns among women who are pregnant because they're not getting in the proper oxygen to get down to the fetus that's in them. And all kind of problems are because of the vaccine, because of wearing masks, and all these things that were mandatory. Some people still do it. There are places that still require it, and yet they continue. And you have to wonder why. This article from April 10th, 2023, Chinese Neuralink, state-funded lab to work on brain-machine interaction in China. More than 60 scientists are working to convert research into practical applications. And what this is about is that over in China, just like here in the U.S., uh, they're working on this brain interface chip. It's one you put in your head. 
It talks to the computer. They can talk to your brain. You have 60 scientists over there, and they claim that they are looking to get there faster than the United States by building a solid research foundation for developing intellectual capability in the area of brain-machine interface. So now you have several countries that are racing for this. It's not just it's not just Neuralink, it's not just Elon Musk. It's several countries are working as fast as they can to get this out there and get this going. They want very much for all of us to have a chip in our head to where they can read our thoughts, read our brain. They claim it's going to be great. We're going to be hooked up to the Internet. And uh, all we have to do is think about it. So we won't have to hold, have handheld computers or any of that stuff. And that is coming out of China. And along those lines, we have this out of Vox. This is dated May 4th, 2023. Mind reading technology has arrived. An AI-powered brain decoder can now read your thoughts with surprising accuracy. And we talked a little bit about one of these before, but this is a brand new study that's come out of the University of Texas. They've developed a technique that can translate people's brain activity like the unspoken thoughts swirling through our minds. And as you scroll down through this, it talks a lot about what we've talked about, how they have these scans, which are going to measure blood flow to different areas of the brain. They're going to monitor how you see things, how you react to things, how your brain creates images and so forth. What I thought was interesting was you go down into this article, and I'll put this in the show notes. They say that already advertisers in the nascent field of neuromarketing are attempting to monitor how you see things, how you react to things, just by studying how people's brains react as they watch commercials. If advertisers get brain data on a massive scale, you might find yourself with a powerful urge to buy certain products without being sure why. It says, or imagine a scenario where governments use BCIs for surveillance or police use them for interrogations. The principle against self-incrimination enshrined in the U.S. Constitution becomes meaningless in a world where the authorities are empowered to eavesdrops on your mental state without your consent. It's a scenario reminiscent of the sci-fi movie Minority Report in which special police unit called Pre-Crime Division identifies and arrests murderers before they commit their crimes. And this is what they're working on. They're trying to bring fantasy to reality. They say they have amazing accuracy already and they're working towards complete and total accuracy also article speaking of ai february 28th scientists at john hopkins university are working on research to enable ai to be constructed using human brain cells arguing that the use of organic material is more efficient than traditional computing systems and again this is this integration of humans and machines by using living brain cells and attaching them to a computer and successfully teaching it to spit out data, to translate back to the, the main computer or to the cloud or whoever it is that will be monitoring what we're all, it'll probably be some AI supercomputer that will constantly be monitoring what you're thinking what you're looking at, what you're doing, and so forth. And so this is where scientists are at right now, trying to basically create the transhuman. And that's coming to us from John Hopkins University. And if you think this is all sci-fi and it's not going to happen, well, this is according to Wired Magazine, how Denmark's welfare state became a surveillance nightmare. Once praised for its generous social safety net, the country now collects troves of data on welfare claimants. 
And this is in order to get the welfare, to in order to get the help, in order to for the government to give you a place to stay or some money or whatever. You are trading out all of your data, all of your info. It says, in a sparsely de uh, decorated corner office of the Danish Public Benefits Administration sits one of Denmark's most quietly influential people. Anika Jacobson is the head of the agency's data mining unit, which over the past eight years has conducted a vast experiment of automated bureaucracy. Blunt and with a habit of completing other sentences, Jacobson is clear about her mission. I'm here to catch cheaters, which is great. That's fine. If people are cheating the system, they should, uh, they should be caught. But how they're doing this is by basically jumping into your life and finding out anything and everything they can about you, and you have to sign up for it. And, of course, they're using artificial intelligence. And this is where this stuff is going. Now they're being criticized for invasion of privacy, and people are speaking out against it. But so far, nothing's been changed. And this is how they are saying they're justifying using this because they're looking for cheaters, people who cheat on their taxes or who are behind in car payments or who have taken out too many loans and so forth, and then they're coming for help. It says they're compiling information on people's taxes, homes, cars, relationships, employers, travel, and citizenship. So you are trading away all your personal data for help from the government. And according to this article, people don't seem to be too upset about it because in the EU, they have voted to implement digital ID. This comes to us from March 19, 2023. A European Parliament vote for the block-wide digital ID is the latest step towards the Chinification of Europe, according to this article. A member of the European Parliament has described the European Union's latest push for cross-border digital IDs as another move towards mass censorship and collection of data. And what this is, is a digital ID. It is called the European Digital ID Framework. It is going to go forward. It will enable uh, individual EU citizens to have, quote, full control over their own data. What they also don't tell you is that the EU has full and utter control over your own data as well. According to this, quote, the loss of our freedom and liberties to the big state is normally done incrementally, but the passing of the EID wallet is a big step towards the Chinification of Europe the parliamentarian told the news, repeatedly warning that the measures could give authorities oversight into people's private lives. The digital wallet will allow the EU and national authorities to have technical tools so they can know what the people are doing and to impose control. And it is. It's just basically another tool, another way that they can control what you do, where you move, where you go. They can shut your passport off. They can shut off your bank account. And this is getting set up all over the place. And also along lines with the Bilderberg Group and their discussing banking matters and banking systems. This is another article. This comes to us uh, March 30th, 2023. EU pushing, quote, the criminalization of physical cash with new anti-money laundering law. European Union is in danger of criminalizing the use of physical cash with its new anti-money laundering law. An MEP has warned. So it hasn't happened yet, but this is what they're looking at. Dr. Gunnar Beck, a representative for the Populist Alternative for Germany Party, has warned that the 
EU appears to be pushing for the criminalization of the use of physical cash with this new law. Apparently, it is going to be voted on fairly soon. The European Parliament has voted for limits to be dropped to 7,000 as far as how much legal cash transaction you can do. This is uh, so they can keep track of where all your cash is going and anything over $7,000 has to be done through their system. They also voted that cryptocurrency transactions paying for goods and services that are valued over 1,000 euro are to be banned. So they're swooping in and they're making all kind of limits and all kind of caveats on what and how you can spend your cash and the squeeze is on. Squeeze is on because the next step, of course, is the, the digital currency and that's also what's coming. And a couple of other things that you need to be on the lookout for, and this is coming our way as well. This is a story out of Switzerland. This has to do with a topic we've talked about before. And this, of course, is that they want us all to eat bugs. They want to move away from meat. In Switzerland, they are there are several companies that are attempting to try to convince children to eat bugs. It says Timothy Oliver of Swiss Insects, a Swiss bug food producer said that he has been touring schools throughout the country in order to do tastings of their products. They're young and they're more open to novelty, he said. At some point, if not tomorrow, then later they will include insects in their diets. He says in 2017, Switzerland became the first country in Europe to permit the sale of insects as food for people and the EU followed in 2021. Of course, a lot of people weren't having it because <laughs> Most people, are they don't want anything to do with this. So what do you do? You go after the kids. You make it look appealing. You tell them it's fun. It's interesting. And they are going around to the schools. And they're pushing this on the kids and telling them this is what the future is. And this is where the future lies. And so you might as well get used to it now. Along those lines, if you're in the EU, you should watch out for this as well because the EU has no plan to clearly label food containing insects, officials confirm. This is a story from April 5th. The EU has no plans to force food manufacturers to clearly label when a product contains insects, an official from the block has confirmed. And I can't pronounce this person's name, but it's the EU Commissioner for Health and Food Safety has confirmed that they have no intentions of forcing manufacturers to clearly label whether a food product contains insects. It comes shortly after the union approved the use of powdered house crickets and mealworms in the products made for human consumptions. So you may not even know that you're eating it. And they're hiding the names of these. They're not putting on there, hey, there's mealworms in here, there's crickets. They're actually giving them different types of names. So you're going to have to do due diligence and you're going to have to look at the packaging and you're going to have to be very conscious about what one of the things they're, they're calling them is uh, arthropods a-r-t-h-r-o-p-o-d-s if you see that on any kind of packaging you know that you're eating bugs and there's a few others that are in there so you'll have to look those up and figure that out for yourself because they're trying to be sneaky they know if they put on there hey this contains crickets and mealworms nobody's going to buy it so in order for them to sneak it past you, they're just not even going to label it. And they don't have to, according to the EU. And speaking of the EU, the push is on. They have backed Brussels and Prime Minister Mark Rutte in the Netherlands to go ahead and shut down all these farms. We talked about this before, how the Dutch government was trying to buy out thousands of 
acres of land from these farmers in order to meet this uh, EU's Natura 2000 to protect the environment and so forth. And uh, the farmers have fought back. It's been an ongoing battle. They've gone to court. The EU has now weighed in and has given the Dutch government the green light to buy out 3,000 Dutch farms, offering them 120% of the market value, quote, incentivizing them to sell voluntarily. If they don't, they're going to be kicked off later. So this is how they're going to do it. We talked about this, I think, last episode, how they're going to come in, and this is how they're going to force people out of their situations. They're going to offer you what seems like a really good deal. You're going to need to move, and if you don't take the deal, then... They're going to go ahead and label you as an extremist or somebody who is a problem, and they will just come in and take it later. And the EU is all in on this. They are completely jumping into the fray and giving everyone the okay. Also, you have, I don't live in Europe. I don't know this grocery chain, L-I-D-L. I assume it's Little. But major European grocery chain, Little, will seek to reduce the amount of meat products sold in its stores in favor of alternative protein source to promote the global green agenda. Well, what's the alternative protein source? Well, of course, that would be bugs. They are going to reduce their meat products in the store and start replacing them with grain burgers, veggie burgers, insect burgers, or insect meat, or whatever it is. So the push is on. This is what's happening. And uh, this is being endorsed by the World Economic Forum's Klaus Schwab. All of it is just leading into one direction. And I wanted to end with this story because I thought this was interesting. This is something that goes way back to the beginning of our early, early days of podcasting. And this has to do with Black Lives Matter. We did an entire episode on it. We tried to warn you who these guys were, who, what this group was. Uh, what a fraud they were, what they really represented when that was all the rage. Now, everybody has kind of caught up and realized what a huge scam it was. But do you realize how big of a scam it was? I think BLM stands for Buy Large Mansions now. It's, it used to be Black Lives Matter, but this group had nothing to do with that. They took in $90 million in donations during the course, and now they're bankrupt. They're, I don't know if you heard this. They're completely bankrupt, and they're dissolving, and they're, it's no longer even a thing anymore. They wasted it all. Well, where did it all go? Of the money, they paid $2,134,800 to a board member, Shalomaya Bowers and her consulting firm, and Patrice Cullors, one of the founders, they paid $1,600,000 to his security company, they paid Trap Heels LLC, a company run by the father of Patrice Kohler's, 969459 a former board member who was a, quote, consulting firm in connection with a contract dispute, 600000 They paid out to former managing editor Kaylee Scales, 114625 Of course, they bought big houses and mansions and paid themselves exorbitant salaries. And according to this report, it says only 33% of their donations actually went to help charitable foundations. And I find that even hard to believe. 
Uh, according to them, they gave $30 million in grants to charitable foundations. However, there's no list of this. No list at all. That's just according to BLM. They have $22 million, 704000 in, quote, expenses. $12 million in the purchase of luxury homes in L.A. and Toronto. $961,000 in investment loss. 833000 in fundraising costs and $722,394 in salaries. So this, if you gave to BLM, that's where your money went. If you supported a company that gave money to BLM, that's where your money went. And it's no longer even a thing. It's completely gone. They have gone bankrupt. Everyone's abandoned ship. It's gone. It's done. And... Out of 90 million, almost, almost $1 billion, nothing's left. They're bankrupt. They all live in huge mansions and houses and got huge salaries. And the whole thing was a scam. Just like we said, if you go back and listen to the episode, the entire thing was a scam. So you need to beware when these groups just show up out of nowhere and have some sort of social justice cause and you've never heard of them, and stay back and observe them for a while, get to know who they are, and don't get caught up in the mass hysteria and just jump on the bandwagon because you see what happens. I'm not going to say I told you so, but if you go back and listen to the episode, we were talking about all of that in real time as they were scamming everybody. So... Thought I'd just bring that up just to show you there was the beginning of the story, the middle of the story, and now the final chapter. They're all gone. All the money's gone. And a few at the top are living extremely large, and they did nothing. So I, I'm still curious. It says they gave $30 million in grants and to charitable foundations. I don't know who they are. They are not disclosing who they are. And I've never seen anything ever built by them. I've never seen anything attributed to them. I've never seen or heard of any school or hospital or community center or college scholarships, nothing. So I think even that $30 million at the top is suspect. But I'll look into it and I'll see what I can find. So, everybody, I hope you have a great week. Brandon and I will be back on Sunday. Again, email us at downtherhatprotonmail.com. Downtherhatprotonmail.com. Until then, I'm Big D, and I'm out of here.